at these times, the people of Gaza, including myself, get worried and stressed out highly. Hello and welcome to this edition of Midi's Junction with me, Anne-Marie Basada. That clip earlier was from Rami Al-Megari, our correspondent in Gaza. As he mentioned, on the weekend of November 11th, tensions between the Gaza Strip and Israel peaked once again when the Israeli Defense Forces led a botched raid in Gaza. It was the first known time the IDF had set foot in Gaza since the war of 2014. News of the incursion was met by rocket fire from Gaza towards Israel, and that in turn was met by Israeli fire. The IDF later said the operation was not intended to kill or abduct terrorists, but to strengthen Israeli security. As the fighting between the two sides escalated, a ceasefire was brokered by Egypt. In response to the truce, Israel's defense minister, Avigdor Lieberman, resigned, saying such an agreement was capitulating to terror. I think it's crazy, you know, that in 2018, our only option about the Gaza Strip is to fight them with less ammunition or more ammunition, but to fight them. That's Nedef Vimen of Breaking the Silence, a group of former Israeli soldiers critical of the occupation of the Palestinian territories and the way it is conducted. The only way that we are looking at our conflict with the Palestinians or about our control of Gaza is through the scope of the gun. No, there are other options. We can negotiate, we can talk, we can try to end the occupation, we can do other things. I don't know, more trucks with food and gas and things like that. But no, we have only military options. Vimin is particularly critical of Lieberman. And when our defense minister is saying that to the Israeli people as a member of the cabinet, as a member of the government, uh, they basically give us no hope but fight again and again. And, and Avigdor Lieberman, he's he, he, he was the extreme right-winger of the most extreme right-wing government that we ever had. And I think that was a part of uh, the reason of what happened in, on the Gaza border for the past uh, uh, six, seven months since the marches began on the 30th of uh, March. But not everyone shares Breaking the Silence's view. I am uh, responsible for European activities in an organization called uh, My Truth. It's an organization that was founded in 2014 following what started uh, with the Operation uh, Protective Edge. That's Gilad Segal. More specifically, following all the international activities that followed the operation, which including all kinds of uh, very biased reports, activities by anti-Israeli organizations, all kinds of events that portrayed the IDF in the wrong light, as most Israelis, uh, we believe, uh, think. And, you know, we were born out of this uh, frustration that the true voice of uh, reservists is not heard and that there are political manipulations made on our backs, on the backs of uh, IDF soldiers and reservists. Military service is compulsory for Israeli citizens at the age of 18, 24 months for women, and as of 2015, 32 months for men. Many view Israel's presence as an ongoing occupation, while others view it as simply protecting its citizens. Segal argues with using the term occupation in the case of Gaza. First of all, there's no occupation. It's a misleading term. There's no occupation, not in the legal sense and not in the figure of speech sense. There's no occupation in Gaza. Israel does not occupy Gaza. You can argue that Israel occupies the West Bank. This is not the situation in Gaza. In 2005, we withdrew to the very last centimeter, and we do not control not even one uh, bit of sand from Gaza. 
but active warfare means enforcing certain realities, as Veeman points out. I think if most people around the world would close their eyes and I will tell them occupation, what you have in your mind, so they would think about you know, a soldier standing in a checkpoint, checking IDs or things like that. But our prolonged occupation of the past 51 years is something a lot more deeper than that. Because if you want to control 5 million Palestinians that don't want to control them, you have to do it uh, forcefully. And the Israeli security plan, we can say, is that all of the Palestinians should be with their heads down at all times. This is how it's easier for us to control them. And this is how they won't resist us. And this is how we we'll bring security to Israel. So that's the Israeli security concept. It doesn't really mean that it really brings security. In the case of Gaza, there has been much discussion on the necessity or relevance of certain actions taken by the IDF, especially since the Great March of Return began on March 30th this year. The weekly protests call for the right of return of Palestinian refugees, a right enshrined in international law and the end of the siege imposed on the Gaza Strip by Israel and Egypt for over a decade. According to the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, or OCHA, between the beginning of the protests until October 1st, 228 Palestinians have been killed and just over 24,000 injured. In that same time period, one Israeli was killed and 40 injured. That discrepancy in numbers may be connected to recent directives given to soldiers. Veeman says Lieberman and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu have issued shoot-to-kill orders to troops. So I can tell you from two sides. First of all, the Israeli media, when you can hear our politician talk, and before even one step was made by one Palestinian in the beginning of March, our defense minister, Viktor Lieberman, the former defense minister and our prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, said that every Palestinian that would be 300 meters away from the fence, we would shoot to kill them uh, using our snipers. Soldiers posted at the Gaza Strip have been receiving different orders from what used to be the case, he says. They served between 2005 and 2008 in the Special Forces in a sniping team. So me and my team were snipers and we did operations on the Gaza border, inside Gaza actually. And I can tell you that when they teach you how to fight in the IDF, there is a very strict rules of engagement. And it's quite simple actually. If you want to shoot and kill an armed Palestinian, so you need three things. Means, ability and intention. Uh, means a Molotov battle, a gun, a knife, a rocket launcher. Intention, it means that he's walking towards the fence next to an army jeep, he's running away in the middle of the night, things like that. And ability, it means that he's not holding a knife 40 meters away from you, he's holding a knife 10 meters away from you. And if you don't have one of the three, you cannot squeeze the trigger and shoot. And as a member of a sniping team, the rules of engagement of the IDF, they were our Bible. So now when IDF soldiers are getting commands that the legitimate target is an unarmed protester, you know, on the eastern side of the Gaza fence, it's crazy. Vimin says until soldiers currently post to their return and are able to officially share their testimonies about their time at the Gazan border, a verification of such directives is hard to do. But Segal says telling soldiers to shoot to kill unarmed Palestinians is unheard of. I can tell you, you know, as far as, you know, I can never be 100% sure. In every section in, now I'm in reserves and I'm in the Kalkilia section. Kalkilia is a Palestinian city very, very close to the heart of Israel. And, you know, and I've been serving, you know, other than my, my mandatory service, I served for at least, let's say, two weeks a year in reserves since I was discharged. And I can tell you, I never, ever, ever got an order 
to shoot a man who is, or, or a woman or a child who is unarmed. He accuses critics of having a hidden agenda. And this is a very important point because those people who told you that, they're probably misleading. And they have, probably they have, uh, you know, uh, an agenda that makes it. I don't know what are the exact order. In every section, there are order of opening fire. It's called exactly that. And this is the first thing that you ask when you go and you take a post. So you ask, what are my orders of opening fire? And the, the normal orders, I don't know what in Gaza specifically, but, but, you know, it changes very little. It is normally when your life is at, is in complete risk. And the person in front of you who is threatening it has the intention and the mean to do it. And this is the last resort. Then you may open fire, not in order to kill, but in order to neutralize the threat, which means that you first you should shoot in the air to deter, then you shoot to the legs. Now, I don't know, you know, as a civilian or as a reservist, I'm not being updated about the instructions in every section that the IDF takes, but I'm very uh, certain that no one were told to shoot unarmed Palestinians. You also need to add, to add the context into it. He elaborates on what that context is. In case that the fence is uh, breached in Gaza and there are uh, civilian uh, towns in a very short distance from there, once it is breached and 10,000 Palestinians who are loyal to Hamas are running through this cut in the fence, um, it, you know, really, I, I wouldn't like to imagine what, what happens then. So, you know, first of all, as an army, is every army who needs to defend its borders from invasion or from a threat to its civilians, so does the IDF. Obviously, there's no easy way to do it, but, um, but, but this is the duty of the military. And it's not a threat that is being, um, it's an imagined uh, threat. It's a real threat. It's a threat that is that those who make it repeat it every day and they show a, a lot of commitment to that. It's no mystery that ever since Hamas was elected to head of Gaza in 2007, breaking away from the Palestinian Authority government of the West Bank, many Israelis have become increasingly fearful of all Gazans. There's a very simple uh, solution to the situation in Gaza. Everybody knows that. And in order to understand what's the solution, you need to understand what's the problem. And the problem is, in one word, and I'm sorry to be so simplistic, but in one word, it's Hamas. There's a terrorist organization that is holding two million people as hostages that cares more about uh, harming Israel than the well-being of their own people. This leads to an impossible situation where Israel, that has no territorial aspirations in Gaza and has no claims whatsoever, and there's nothing, you know, again, it may sound simplistic, but Israel has nothing but the utmost interest to have the lives of Gazans uh, improved and make, as everybody says before me, to, to become the Singapore of the Middle East. In 2005, Israel withdrew from the Gaza Strip. But during times of intense fighting, as was the case on November 11th, raids can occur. And as Veman points out, such actions are sometimes questionable. And one of the things that we are doing is uh, mapping operations. Now, mapping operation is when, uh, let's say, a platoon... 60 guys getting like one or two streets in a Palestinian village or city. Then you, you go from uh, apartment to apartment, knock on the door, it's, you know, it's in the middle of the night, 2 or 3 a.m., and you wake all of the family members up. In my team, I was the photographer. I had the camera. So I would put 
all of the family against the wall and take uh, photos, uh, portraits of, of their faces. And then uh, our officer would sit down with usually the father of the family and he would write on a piece of paper uh, the names of the family members, if they work, where they work, if they study, where they study. And then on the back side of the page, you would draw a map of the house, hence mapping. And after that, we moved to the next house, and the next house, and the next house. And in my unit, we were four teams. So four teams in one night, we can do I don't know, almost an entire neighborhood. But then when we got back to the base, uh, we used to throw the maps, the piece of paper to the trash can and delete all of the photos from the camera. Because the commands that you get when you go out to do uh, mapping operations, it's to instill the feeling of being chased at the Palestinian population. The operation counted on deception, he says. So basically, we want the Palestinians to think we are looking for someone, or the Palestinians would think that we know something, but actually we don't know, and that's a part of making your presence felt. So understand, it doesn't matter if you are a teenager throwing stones, Palestinian teenager throwing stones at the military post, or a Palestinian nurse in a hospital, you will raid your home in the middle of the night. You go through our checkpoint. Uh, you had to uh, request a permit to do basically anything. And this is what we believe, that's the, again, the security concept of Israel. If we will do all of these things, we will bring security to the settlers. The issue, however, may not be the IDF itself, but where the source of directives are coming from and why, as Vimin explains. We basically think that the problem is not the soldiers or the commands that IDF soldiers are getting by their officers or the problem is even not the army. The problem is the policy of our government. So let's say it's really simplistically, it doesn't matter if there is a nice soldier standing in a checkpoint or an evil soldier in a checkpoint, the checkpoint exists. So for us, we don't think the problem is joining the IDF or not. When something like that happens in Gaza, exchange of fire between Israel and Gaza-based resistance factions who fire rockets in response, mainly in response to Israeli attacks in the region, like what happened, what has happened recently when Israel raided a residential house, launched or carried out a sort of uh, undercover operation in south of Gaza that prompted and pushed for a Palestinian response. That's all the time we have for this edition of Minis Junction. Thanks for tuning in and join me next time for another look at the region.